Dotnet Rocks episode 937 with guest Jez Humble. Recorded live at the NDC in London, Thursday, December 5th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And by Franklins.net, makers of Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl and Richard, still at NDC. Indeed. Happy New Year, everybody. It's just about New Year's, eh? Yep. So there you go. The, the power of time shifting. Absolutely. That's the nature of our work. Having a good time in London. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a couple it's of bottles city. of scotch just ended up on our it's desk. The oddest thing. But this people is, think that we drink a lot. Uh, we don't drink a lot. No. We, we drink enough. We drink enough. There you go. Yeah, I guess. Okay. All right. Well, let's roll the music. Absolutely. And nobody would know we drink from that music. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. What do you got? Uh, well, as you know, um, <clears throat> up to my you know what in JavaScript. Yes. And sometimes it's it's a it's a stormy relationship you have with JavaScript. Oh no, it's fine. I I like it. Uh, I'm I'm just learning. Yeah. You know, and and. Not so much learning. Uh, I learn a lot about new things, but of course, there's so many things that I've forgotten about JavaScript. Sure. Um, one of the things that I've forgotten about JavaScript is, and, and this isn't even a JavaScript thing so much as it is a HTTP thing and a browser thing, is, you know, if you're going to uh, access a URL, you know, access a resource on a URL, yep. and sometimes if, if the URL is going to, or the service or whatever it is, is going to return something unique every time but the url isn't different every time right then the browser can play tricks with you with the cache mm -hmm. and of course the you know all about this from strange loop right so the trick is to append some argument onto the end of the url right. that's unique yeah change the url in some way. change the url in some way so it's an old trick but it's tried and true and there's an easy way to do this in javascript so um i've come up with this little uh, utility. So if you go to tinyurl.com slash cache buster, <laughs> nice one. C A C H E buster. I uh, just wrote a little blog post. It's literally take you five seconds to read it. It's one function. Um, get unique string. Yep. And you basically create a date and then you return uh, get time to string of that date. Get time returns. I think it's the number of milliseconds that have happened since it's some unique epoch or something. Yeah, exactly. It's a basically a really long number that is going to be unique every time you call it. It's kind of like now dot milliseconds or now dot ticks to milliseconds, right. you know, dot net. And so what you can do is just call this and append it uh, as an argument. Uh, you know, so you essentially either with a question mark if it's the first uh, argument on the URL or an ampersand if it's continuing, and you just make up a name. Doesn't matter. Cache killer equals you know, and then get the unique string. It, that simple, you know, just make the URL unique, as yep, you said. that's all it needs to be. That's all it needs to be. So there you go. It's just a simple little tool that uh, will save you lots and lots of headache. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people getting into JavaScript may not know that trick, and they might be tearing their hair out because, you know, you look at the 
the result that comes back from an AJAX query and it looks fine and yep. the status is success and the data is there except it's different it, <laughs> and it doesn't actually hit the server. Yeah. And what's going on there? That's why. So know it, learn it, love it. Awesome. Tinyurl.com slash cashbuster. Nice. Hey, Richard, who's talking to us? Uh, I grabbed a show off of 924, and that's the one we did with Steve Smith. Yeah. We were talking about the software craftsmanship calendar, but of course that got into the whole conversation about the anti-patterns that are in that calendar. Loved it. And Tony comments, uh, woohoo, I'm the first to leave a comment. You don't normally get that first thing, but okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, I got about halfway through the podcast, and I had to leave a comment. The first three anti-patterns discussed sounded like Telerik had a camera on my work environment. No, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) You guys read my mind. Yeah. The guy who came in as the lead fits January, which was shiny new toy, and March found on the internet. Yeah. Prior to the, quote, lead joining, I had worked with the architect on creating the product's basic framework. After the lead joined, he convinced the architect to move the framework to a new shiny framework that he'd been reading about on the internet. (laughs) To solve code, quote, issues, which was really just client functionality, Mm. he wanted to pull in a jQuery library or a library from Codeplex or some other similar site. The application feels a bit like a Frankenstein to me. Some of the changes have been good, but with a tight deadline, being consultants, and trying to satisfy the client requests, we should have stuck with more traditional paths. The problem is you throw too much too soon, and you don't understand what's in there, yeah. and you, you end up with something that's you're completely out of control of. Yeah, I like the, the Frankenstein app. is yeah. a fair description. Mostly it's like right. you, you put in that query, that library to get one feature. Right. And, and do you really know the, the ripple effects of what you're doing? Right. What is really going on in yeah. there. And it's in your code base forever. Yeah. That's right. You're now committed to And that. it's alive. <laughs> uh, Tony goes on to say, as soon as you said mushroom management, I immediately thought of my current project. There was no need for you to describe the picture as I live it every day. I work for a consulting firm that has a team of five people, a PM, a business architect, an architect, and a couple of devs on-site with six more people off-site in India. Even though the on-site team is sitting near the client in their office, the only people talking to the client is the PM and the architect. Mm. The lead sometimes is pulled into the meetings with them. And the other guys are maybe half the meetings. We are only told a little bit about what the client is looking for, and I am told even less with just the function I'm supposed to be working on. That's right. You're a cog. Just go round and round. <laughs> this drives me bonkers as I'm a big picture type person. I've worked directly with clients for the past 17 years. The first three months of 2014, Andy Patter represent my daily job. It may be time to find a new job. That's right. Because, <laughs> you know, if you can't change your workplace, you got to change, change your workplace. workplace. <laughs> hey, Tony. I can't help you there. That's totally up to you. But how about I send you a mug? <laughs> at least you have a, something big to drink your coffee out of. Or, or whatever else you want to drink out of it. collect your tears in. <laughs> we feel your pain, we man. We feel you, man. It's tough out there. You know? Just keep your head up and make, sure, make good decisions for yourself. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. Or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS and Android. And those apps are built by Diatom Enterprises. If you'd like to build you an app, just go to diatomenterprises.com. And that third voice you heard was that of Jez Humble. He's here with us. He's a principal at ThoughtWorks, of course, and co-author of the Jolt Award-winning Continuous Delivery, published in Martin Fowler's Signature Series by Addison Wesley in 2010. And also co-author of the up-and-coming Lean Enterprise by O'Reilly. 
Welcome, Jez. Welcome back, I should say. Thanks very much for having me back again, and uh, welcome to my country. Oh, nice. thank you. Yeah, thank yeah, you very is, much. Are, the, you're not, you're, are you living in California now? I do. I, I live in the Bay Area. Oh, there's worse things. Hey, well, welcome to our country. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should say my country. Yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> and how do you find it? Rumbly? Oh. rumbly? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've, we've been woken up in the night a couple of times, but uh, yeah. So, yeah. so far, nothing serious. That's uh, good. Well, you're in the north? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just north of Berkeley. Okay. okay. That's a great area, actually. Yeah. It's not lovely. as rumbly. Yeah. Not, not quite, not, not at the moment. Yeah. yeah. I am about a mile away from the Hayward Fault, though. So, uh, so yeah. I got a story for you, Richard. Yeah. Um, there was reports of loud explosions uh, uh, last week as, you know, we're recording this in, mm-hmm. in December. Uh, last week in, in my area, you know, in the Norwich, New London area, oh, really? loud explosions. Turns out it was an earthquake. Oh, no kidding. We had a 2.5 earthquake. Fracking cause, perhaps? I don't think so. But it turns out there is an ancient fault up there. Oh, yeah. And every once in a while, it's known to make Snap noise. Pop. Yeah. But earthquake in Connecticut. That's weird. It's kind of yeah, weird. Yeah. Actually, there is case. a fault that runs right down New York City. Did you oh. know this? It's old and dormant, but there is a fault. I did not know that. Right down the center of Manhattan. Yeah. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Nice. Oh, I hope that's not possible. So, for whatever reason, we always talk to you in NDCs. Now that there's two a year, you know. Yes. It's twice yeah. as much fun. Maybe we get yeah. about a six-month sync time with you. That's right. And clearly, you're still driving on continuous delivery. Still delivering. Yes. Well, you know, we haven't uh, solved that problem yet, it turns out. So, I uh, can't hang up my shoes just, just now. There, I've sensed, I mean, I've been doing DevOps talks for the past couple of years, and... Uh, and this incredible level of enthusiasm. Like I, I feel like people want to get better and try and, and appreciate this idea that if we can get software out quickly and often, it gets easier. Yes, and I, it, people want to do it. And and when you've done it, you love it. People never say, right. you know, I'm bored of putting out releases ten right. times a day. I really want to go back to doing it twice a year. Like <laughs> yeah, that. sure. That never happens. So uh, <laughs> never I, happens. Think, I think automation of any kind is painful to set up and beautiful when it's working. That's yeah, just the nature of it. Yeah, it's just lovely. When yeah. the, you know, when you press the button, the release goes out, and it's things just wonderful. Just work. It's just so nice. Getting rid of that whole "did you build it right" debate. <laughs> right. You didn't sacrifice the chicken at step seventeen, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the the barrage of emails that have to go back and forth, and the painful pain process, and gnashing of teeth, and yeah. uh, recriminations. So who wouldn't want that? Yeah, but exactly. you know, it's. It's a world of complexity out there, as you you guys know only too well. Yeah, um, and and so there's a, there's a lot of work to do to 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 fight fight the beast. Still, I think. How much of it is a social component? Do you think? Oh, so much of it. Yeah. Um. Uh, I did a talk yesterday where I talk about implementing continuous delivery, and I give case studies, and I like to tell the good stories and the bad stories. Yeah. Um. And you know the bad stories, which I'm sure you're all too familiar with, is, you know, management says. We would really love to do this, and the people who are doing the work say, "Yeah, of course, I would love to, you know, be releasing painlessly." But then they want the magic continuous delivery fairy to come along and wave the wand and not sure. have to actually change anything difficult. Yes. Right. We, we had one customer uh, where we spent six months, and we were like, "Well, you should probably change your architecture so you can test your software on the developer workstation instead of having to spin up an enormously complex integrated environment." They said, "Well, that sounds great, but we can't do that just now." And you should probably look at your process and have some way for people to collaborate and not have these huge phase gates. And, and they're like, well, that sounds like lovely. And, and, and 
you know, nothing was happening that would actually allow them to fix the problem. And uh, my favorite comment from her afterwards was, they don't need a deployment pipeline. They need to talk to each other a lot more. And <laughs> ah. uh, that, that's, I, I think, very common, actually. Right. If everybody um, would just behave better. Yeah. If everyone would just be nicer to each yeah, other. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, it's, I, 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 I hasten to add, it's not that people are evil or stupid. It's yeah. just that the system, the organizations that we're in, create environments in which you know this behavior is entirely rational well it's and, sort of like the, the 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 person who says you know the, the husband who says to the wife i think we need a maid because our house is terribly you know dirty and the the wife says you know if everybody would just pick up then we wouldn't need a maid you know okay but you we have you know sloppy children how are we going to do this right. <laughs> you know, if they would just behave better we wouldn't have this problem. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, but you have to work around their behavior most of the time. Yeah, and this is this is something um, I saw a talk by a guy called Dan Milstein where he talks about you know operations and how to have no blame um, post mortems. Right. Uh, and it, there's this thing where you know something goes wrong and the exercise is to find out the person who's responsible for messing things up, and then the answer is do it better next time. Yes. Right. So don't mess it up next time. Yeah, don't yeah. mess it up. And uh, <laughs> and it's you know and and, and the be reality more is careful. yeah. Yes, be don't more, do exactly. That. Be more careful. And <laughs> don't do that. His his comment is you know we should all plan for a future in which we're as stupid as we are today. Right. Uh, which I thought <laughs> was a, even stupider. Yeah, which I thought was a brilliant comment. That's so a you, great quote. You always have to ask yourself you know if that had been me in that situation. Yeah. Would I, could I have done the same thing? And if we're honest, most of the time the answer to that is yes, absolutely. I yeah. could have made that mistake. Yeah, and then it's, you know, you've got to accept it's the fault of the system. It's yeah. Easy. yeah. And it, you're always going to make mistakes. Yep. You are never on your perfect behavior every time. No. You know, we, I was building uh, failover solutions. And when we were testing the failover solutions, it was always the very best guys in the room when we were doing the tests. So they went pretty well. Right. Oddly enough, stuff doesn't fail when all the best guys are in the room. No. <laughs> and normally it's not a nice, methodical, kind of relaxing yeah. environment. Carefully scheduled for, we will have a disaster at 9.30. Yes, and we'll all be carefully caffeinated yeah. and at our best. You Actually, know. you know, you, there, there's people that I've worked with who are sort of like poison. They would walk, when you say, hey, come look at this code, and they stand over you and watch, it would crash every time, <laughs> every single time. And so you don't want them around. They're like, what it is about this person, I don't know. Maybe they intimidate the code. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but they're emanating gamma rays. Yeah, something. <laughs> Make the machine Have crash. you ever met people like this? I, I've... Yeah, you know, the people whose watches only last for six months and then mysteriously fail and yeah. you know, all the time, forever. Right, right. Um, and I, but I think the thing is, you, you actually want to encourage those people. I, one of the trends that I've been really excited about is this idea of actually. You know, people who take backups and don't test the restore, right. it's pointless doing backups. Yeah. And it's the same mm. with disaster recovery. And um, right. there's been some interesting articles coming out in the last several months about um, how Google does disaster recovery testing, where they actually have a team who creates a scenario uh, and they do it once a year and they create these crazy scenarios. Like they have an alien invasion scenario one year where right. aliens invaded the earth and they had to do disaster recovery. And there was a scenario where there was an earthquake in the Bay Area, you know, which could never happen, obviously. No, goodness, never. And, uh, <laughs> and, and they had this whole scenario where they, you know, they actually cut the cable to Mountain View. Wow. They actually, I mean, not physically cut it, but switched it off. Right. Um, and, and did a bunch of other things and, um, a, a 
a bunch of people had set their systems to fail over to computers in the campus in Mountain View. And of course, the failover didn't work because that was no was longer down. available. Exactly. Yeah. So um, uh, they actually execute these scenarios every year and test their disaster recovery process and, and, and real things happen. Um, this was kind of pioneered, I think, um, by Jesse Robbins at Amazon. Right. Uh, he's a volunteer firefighter. And so he does, you know, fire drills. Yep. Um, and he, he said, well, we, we should do this for disaster recovery, Amazon. And he said, in about six or seven months, I'm going to go into the, one of the data centers and turn it off. And hmm. you will have to maintain quality of service. Chaos monkey. Right. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Chaos monkey, obviously, is the kind of... The digital version of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah taking sure. that to his logical conclusion. You know, yeah, we're not yeah, going to yeah. do it once a year. We're going to do it all the time. So right. I think that's a really interesting trend. Yeah, the challenge, of course, is it's all, that's all well and fine until it actually takes you down. And it's like, it's just, now it's a self-inflicted wound. Right. But it's like, hey, at least we were paying attention when we inflicted this wound as opposed to just happening to us. Right. And and then hopefully you've developed the muscle memory where it's like, okay, I've been in this scenario before. Yeah. And, you know, you, you don't just panic. You're like, okay, this is what we do. Yeah, the biggest thing for me is actually having profiles of what applications look like when they're dying or, you know, the various states. And it's, having spent most of my time on the performance and so uh, software side, it's like, here's what this website looks like just before it crashes. You know, you, you, when it gets to about this state, you've got about 20 minutes. Right. You know, and just actually stressing the app and, and taking it that far to show you so that you have these profiles, things you can look at. So the guys aren't surprised. Yeah, I, I guess that can work for a certain type of crash, you know, a sort of memory related crash. There's many crashes that can just happen. Yeah, true hardware failures are right, like actual backhoe fade. They cut through the wire. Yep. Right? I've had a truck back into a pole that all of the data cables came down. No. Built redundant systems <laughs> for this whole building, separate connections and everything. It was cheaper for them to run the T. In the end, they put both wires down the same pole. No. Yeah, and that sure is crap. That pole went down. So uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes people make when they set out to do continuous deployment? Um, so uh, they're, they're, all, they're not necessarily... Okay, they're mistakes. I think you know, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the biggest thing I see that people do wrong is they start with the tools. It's like, okay, yeah. what tools can we buy? And, um, you know, some of, some of the best solutions that I've ever been involved with over the years have been, you know, bash scripts yeah. or, uh, you know, this is a .NET show, so um, PowerShell or whatever. I mean, you yep. can do very amazing things with PowerShell yeah, sure. and bash scripts. Uh, and, and it's very powerful. And uh, actually, there's a, there's a thing from... Uh, the Toyota production system, where they talk about how starting with automating everything is not necessarily the right thing. Right. Just mm -hmm. taking a taking a production line and just automating everything. What you want to do is start playing with it first and reorganizing it, because if you automate everything, that's going to be expensive to change. Right. And you actually want to start by, uh, I mean, the, the 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 project that spawned a lot of the anti patterns in the continuous delivery book was one where we started by just having a wiki page where we looked at the. Um, the, the procedure for deploying the system, just writing it down and then incrementally starting to automate it, but at the same time simplifying it. And, right. and like, like the production line, you know, shifting things about and saying, well, if, if we could just talk to the developers and get them to fix this, then we can remove these three whole steps. Right. Okay. Uh, and, and that, I think that has to be part well, of it. Well, half the time you don't even know that they could eliminate it. Like you have to involve them in uh, looking at the whole process and they go, well, those steps are stupid. We could, we could fix that. All you right. Know? That's the one that I run into with involving the people is that Nobody knows the whole thing. Everybody is acting like a cog in the system. And I know the gear on my left and the gear on my right and nothing else. Right. And the first time they actually walk through the entire cycle, like, 
wow, there's a bunch of dumbness there. Like, we could do this better. So the first step is to um, understand the manual process and make that more streamlined. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and then incrementally work to automate the, the really painful or, or, or really easy bits. Uh, and, and, and then gradually you get to a, a situation where, 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 where things are better. But I think you know, the mistake people make, buy a tool, take the existing process, stick it in the tool. Um, right. And that, that's easier to do for both financial and communication reasons than actually getting a bunch of people together and, and trying to think through how we could just make the whole thing a lot easier. Sure. sure. So once, once you've uh, figured out your own process and, and got that and you've figured out a way to sort of automate a couple of these things, uh, I guess the, the sort of the tools is the last part in the chain. But, but what, um, you know, how, how do we get from from there to I push a button and everything just works. Yeah, and I, 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 the, that first project we were on, it was basically we ran the bash script. So it was uh, <laughs> it, we actually had automation. It was eight thousand lines of ant. Wow. And uh, the operations people weren't having any of that because they didn't understand that and they didn't want to understand it. So the scripts that we came up with, this is a uh, Dan North was the guy who kind of pioneered this. Sure. Uh, he called it Conan the Deployer. And yeah. uh, <laughs> Conan, Conan was the tool that you would spin up and, and, and build off. And, and you, would, you would just run Conan. Um, but I think the key thing here is you want to make it so that you need a nice dashboard. You need a nice button. Yeah. You need a, probably a tool to do that. But you want to make it so that the tool is not doing very much. The other mistake people make is to put a lot of stuff into the tool. And then you're tied to the tool forever. Right. And when you upgrade the tool, it breaks a bunch of stuff. Try and keep everything in source control. You know, in the same way that you're keeping your source codes and hopefully your, your automated tests in source control, your deployment scripts, all right. that stuff should also be in source control. What you don't want to end up with is your deployment process being captured in uh, some horrible schema in a in a database, in a tool that is commercial. I mean, well, you get back to this whole idea of Bash or PowerShell. It's like, it's text. You can check it in. Yes. And you can have a history. And you can diff it. Yeah. You can see what you were doing, who changed it, what order it was changed in, what the... Th Theoretically, what they're thinking was like more and more. I, I got a whole marketing team to use source control, just so we're actually using the correct version of the logo and the and the latest product docs and stuff. It's like, it turns out source control is useful. Yes, and and it's primarily a communication tool. Yeah. I mean, this is what people forget. It's 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 primarily a way of communicating what you're doing to other people. Yeah, and so. I mean, it comes back to the communication thing, mm -hmm. though, which is which is how we started. That actually, you want a, a system that everyone has access to. That's a single source of truth, which is where you go if you want to know how things work. Right. And so it makes sense to put your deployment process there. And it, and it, and you, it, I got good at encouraging people to write good comments as they were checking stuff in. It says, "You do this well, you save yourself a phone call." Yep. Because your name's on it regardless. Yep. The question is, do you want them to phone you every time they look at stuff you've worked on? Or can they get the answer directly from source control? Right. Like to have, so have the information there that saves you the phone call. Yep. And I mean, going back to what you were saying about you know, pe pe people not talking to each other and not understanding the, the whole picture yes. instead of the individual pieces. I mean, one of the exercises that uh, we do at ThoughtWorks when we come into new customers is we get everyone in a room who's involved in the process of going as i say from golf course to measurable customer outcome so you know the whole nice. product development process from i have an idea to you know looking at the requirements uh and then development and then putting it uh testing and then production and we get all the people from all the parts of that process into a room and go through that process okay to take the last 
product release you did right and go from when you had the idea all the way through the process and it's it's really interesting because what happens is first of all often it's the first time that we've had representatives from all the way across the company in one room together right and then what happens is some time in and and how far you can get before this happens is a really good indicator of the communication of the company. What the actual state of things are. Right. Is is people start having arguments. Someone's like, well, and then we do this and someone's like, no, no you don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> or no, no, we don't. <laughs> yeah, we don't do that. That's against our security policy. Right. Or, right. Or, so yeah. let me tell you how we actually deploy software. Because if we don't do that, software doesn't deploy. Right. And then everyone's like sad face. Yeah. Uh, or or like really appalled face. <laughs> yeah. And 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 so that that's really interesting. And, and the output of this thing is a value stream map. Yeah. But the value stream map is as with many of these exercises, the value stream map is just part of the result. The real result is that everyone actually starts to understand what other people's world looks like and hopefully develop some empathy as a part mm-hmm. of that. And I think, you know, all these exercises that we do, I think developing empathy and developing communication is really, really important. And, you know, one of the things that makes me, you know, sad as a consultant, but also, you know, it pays my salary, is that people often wait until they get the consultants in before they do these kinds of things. Yeah. Right. It takes it takes someone spending a lot of money and saying, well, we better get our money's worth to yeah, actually... Making a commitment, essentially. Right. Right. And and so, you know, we should be doing this all the time. This is another continuous thing, you know. Instead of doing this once a year when we've got some spare budget to spend yeah. at the end of the year <laughs> and we can spend it on some consultants, let's do yeah, this Why shouldn't months. we be doing this all the time? But I think there's also this uh, pressure to do, not think. Right. Oh, right. boy, so, you said it. Yeah. Yeah. That I've got, I mean, there's, there's the old fable about the woodcutter and the consultant. Right. Where the uh, woodcutter is uh, cutting down trees with a blunt axe and uh, a passing consultant happens upon him and, <laughs> and says, you should really think about sharpening your axe. And, and the woodcutter says, I don't have time to sharpen my axe. I have to cut down all these trees. It's the project manager who says, we don't have time to spend on this kind of thing and on process improvement because we have to deliver these features. Right. And uh, one of the case studies I like to talk about is uh, the HP LaserJet firmware folks. There's a book uh, by a guy called Gary Groover called um, uh, something like Agile at Scale or something. But if you look up Groover on Amazon, I think it's it's the only one you'll find. Okay. Um, where they were going so slowly that you know the business begged them for help. And they did this really interesting thing, which is to look at the activity of the people on the team. What were people spending their time doing? Right. And they were spending 25% of their time moving code between branches on version control and 25% of their time on product support and and a bunch of other things. And when he took all this stuff away from 100%, what was left was 5% of people's time was being spent actually building features. And in that scenario, when when the project manager was saying... Let's. We have to build the features. The reason that pressure is on is because your process is so messed up. Yeah. And so at that point, you really have to say, well, actually, if we spend some time on process improvement, we'd be able to move faster. And, yeah, and that's can, exactly what they did. If you're only getting 5% time to add new code and 25% time shuffling code around, you only have to improve the code shuffling process 20% to double the throughput of trading code. Right. Right. You know, that could, we don't have to make a miracle here. We just have to make a little bit better. Right. And we'll, we'll have substantial improvements. Yeah. It's, it's the fallacy of, you know, busy making, making yeah. sure people are busy delivering the functionality. Well, that, that's probably not in your best interest. Yeah. It really. And, it, and a big, a big part of this is often those kinds of processes aren't measured. Like you don't know how much time you're spending on it. Yep. Yeah. It's got it. You've got, yeah, absolutely. Got to start with a measurement. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Ah, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to find the big bad bugger button and bash it to bits. What? (laughs) (laughs) I like this segment already. Yeah. 
I use the word bugger and bash in the same sentence. Nice. <laughs> That's right. You Welcome can to my country. <laughs> no, no, no. It's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who the winner is today, I need to tell you about Telerik Icinium, which I've been talking about a lot lately. It lets you develop, test, and publish iOS and Android apps from a single code base using only HTML5 and JavaScript, all from within Visual Studio. The capabilities include comprehensive back-end as a service in the cloud, integrated support for Kendo UI and jQuery mobile, as well as integrated testing and deployment capabilities. All this makes Icinium a robust end-to-end mobile app development platform for .NET developers. Telerik Icinium is available on a subscription basis and is now part of the Telerik DevCraft Ultimate Collection. Start a free 30-day trial of Icinium with support at Icinium.com, that's I-C-E-N-I-U-M.com, slash D-N-R. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks. For sure. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Duncan McKenzie from New Zealand. Uh, congratulations, Duncan. Yeah. And just for being a member of the fan club, he gets the uh, Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection. That's a $2,000 value, just about everything they do in one box. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, uh, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we give away a DevCraft Complete Collection and other stuff. And every year in yep. December... We give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member, and we've done it two years now. Yeah, two Just years a now, couple two weeks, weeks ago. ago, Andy Smith won, the, and he wanted a tablet development kit with a yep. high-powered laptop and various kinds of tablets. Yeah. Built a nice rig for him. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so we like to ask our guests, Jez, you know what's coming. If you had $5,000, which uh, in, in uh, pounds is what? Twenty-seven hundred. But you're in California, so five thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. I'm is. good with the dollars. I'll take those. With the dollars, <laughs> it's a strong currency. What, yep. what, what, uh, what would you buy? Wow, five thousand dollars is uh, unimaginable wealth. Um, <laughs> I, I would honestly, I have kids, so I would probably buy a holiday. Uh, oh, that's yeah. a great idea. Go. Yeah, Just get but away. If yeah. I if I had to spend it on, I, yeah, and get away from the technology. But if I had to spend it on technology, five thousand dollars would buy you a lot of technology. Oh yeah, it sure will. No, we built yeah. some smoking machines when the or for the winners. Uh, you know, we've kitted out. The fun part about asking this question is people have different ideas. We've seen some amazing camera systems. Turns out you spend about five grand, you get one of every tablet and one of every major phone. Yeah. Mm, it's about yeah. five grand, you know? Yeah. Or a 3D printing system. That, okay. That, that's MakerBot too, and a, yep. and a good, and a good tablet to drive it. And one of every kind of plastic to, to, to put in make, it. Yeah. Every color. Yep. You know what? That's, that's, what I get a, a Raspberry Pi and, uh, and a 3D printer. <laughs> yeah. How many Raspberry Pis? Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's 20 bucks, right? Right. Yeah. That's a lot of pie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I saw that was really cool with the Raspberry Pi? Some guy made like a weather balloon and hooked up a Raspberry Pi and a camera Love and it. sent it up into the stratosphere. Yeah. yeah. And there's this fabulous picture of, you know, the Earth. The, with curve the curvature of the Earth. Yeah. 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 That's kick ass. So yeah. that, I would spend my 50,000 bucks doing that a few times. 50,000? Yeah. Oh, okay. Clearly. That was an order of oh, That's a different show altogether. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you get a lot of weather balloon for that. Yeah, that's just a lot of balloon. Suddenly we've got a new sponsor. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Wow! Yeah, did I good. say fifty thousand? Uh, fifty thousand Turkish lira? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember the hundred million lira notes. <laughs> Twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah. Then they dropped six zeros. Wow! One day they're just like, okay, we're taking zero zeros off the lira. Yeah. So 
Yeah, funny. That's all it takes, is it? Yep. Just drop a few zeros. Drop a few zeros. It got a little out of hand. Yeah. Hundred million lira notes. That's not right. That's funny. It's not right. I really want to dig onto the social side of this because often we I find situations where the developers buying into this, like they hate the bill process as it stands right now, and they're always fighting back. But every time they try and pitch it, that I want we need to spend more time on process. Uh, they get pushback from exactly what we were talking about before the break there. It's like, no, you've got to start typing. Yeah. <laughs> you're not working. You're not typing. Yeah. The utilization fallacy. Yeah. So, I mean, do you have specific tactics you go after? Like, how do you, how do you surface that number that we're spending 25% of our time shuffling between branches? Yeah. And I, I think that there's a few things you can do. One thing is just to actually go and measure that. So right. I think it's a useful thing that anyone listening to this show could, could go and suggest and, and, and maybe do and, and, you know, say one morning at your stand up, Hey, how much time are you spending doing this stuff? Um, another thing is just to build it into the process. So right. um, something that 3M pioneered many decades ago was the concept of 15% time. Right. Where everyone gets time to do something that they're particularly passionate about, right. which is where Post-it notes came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously Google, until recently, there's some controversy about whether they're still doing this. Yes. You know, we're doing 20% time for people. But, you know, giving people time to do things that are focused on the things that are, they're passionate about or that are really winding them up, mm-hmm. um, I think is good. Uh, the other thing I've seen people do is at the end of a sprint or a release, you know, everyone gets a few days to just kind of decompress and right. fix things that are bugging them. Uh, so I think just uh, the other thing people do is they have cards, not just for, for work, for features and bugs and stuff, but yeah. cards, you know, I've, this week we're going to put in a card to fix this thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and the other big thing, which I think is really useful is just having retrospectives regularly and, and looking at what's a looking at what's problematic, but also, you know, saying we're going to run some experiments next time. We're going to try some things out and we're going to dedicate some time to running some experiments and seeing if we can make things better. I know from my experience that um, it's when I'm away at from well when I'm away from my home office, when I'm at conferences and hold up in my hotel room that I get the most work done, and I don't you know and I have the most ideas at a certain time in a certain environment, uh, the best ideas, and I don't know if anybody's you know, if you do this with your teams or whatever the or your consultancy, but. Taking some time to to ask people where, you know, in what environment do they thrive the best or do they get the best ideas or have the the clearest insight or, you know, get them the most work done and then, you know, sort of uh, put them in that environment more often. I mean, is that does this seems like common sense to me? Yeah, and, and honestly, I've I've not I've not heard that before. I mean, that that's that's a really good point. I well, mean, I, 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 yeah. I all a lot of my good ideas I have when I'm at the gym or in the shower or something like that, and right. it's just it's just because it's time on my own and I'm relaxing, I'm decompressing, and that's right. when your brain starts kind of popping off all these ideas. So, right. yeah, really? I mean, how can we maximize that or make make sure people are doing it on a regular enough on basis? a regular basis? How did yeah. we get to a place where the least productive environment is at work? That's sad, isn't it? But this is the thought I had is like, shouldn't that be your workplace? The place where you're most inspired and most creative? Like, wouldn't that make sense? And yet, that's every time I talk about this, it's about getting away from work. Right. And I, you know, this is one of the cliches about Silicon Valley. And there was that um, film about Google, I think, recently, right. where it highlighted, you know, the, the bean bags and the yeah. leisure facilities. And, you know, that there's a reason that companies do this which is because if people are happy they tend to be 
more passionate about their work right. and, and do a better job. And I think and this is something that Dan Pink talks about in the Drive book, the importance yes. of uh, people actually caring about what they're doing and being given autonomy to do it. And there's just some very simple But it's stuff. also not about assuming what environment makes developers happy, right? right. You really have to get that out of them yes know. and everyone's different i mean everyone's and, different yeah one, one of the classic things that winds me up is you know music in the workspace yeah. and you know everyone likes music nobody likes the same music right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah and you know fights over the jukebox and you know even sure. things like that can really ruin but, your day and i noticed developers working in cubicles that were wearing big headphones and then i found out there was no music it was just noise canceling right they just wanted quiet yeah so they and and ha- having headphones on meant people didn't interrupt them yeah, because they look like they. I can't hear you. Yeah, right? I'm not listening. I'm 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 in the spe- I'm in the zone. Uh, and I think we have to be okay with people just you know saying, okay, I can't work here. I'm going to go somewhere I else. And else. we should trust them that actually that that's fine and and let, give them some flexibility to do this. I started studying code check-ins for one of the projects I was working on, and almost all of the code check-ins that really moved branches forward after six o'clock at night. And I started seeing that developers were going into the office around noon and being harassed for coming in late and doing meetings during the day. And they wouldn't even attempt to write code till most everyone else had left. At 6 o'clock is sort of when they went to work. And they worked from 6 to 10 actually producing usable code. Then they went home. And it was all about interruption. The problem is that work workspaces are set up for managers and managers operate on interruptions yep and developers can't be interrupted they need to be left alone paul, paul graham had this blog post about you know meet manager time and, and developer time yeah. and you know manager's time is divided up into hours and and developer time you know that 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 just ruins your whole day yeah um so i i think that's right and i think one of the one of my favorite culture hacks I heard of was a, a guy at a company I probably can't name unfortunately, but he um they they had cubicles with dividers between them and he said well you know wouldn't it be nice if we had an open plan office and everyone else was like yeah that would be great but the facilities people basically said no we we can't do that so one Saturday he went into the office and just took down all the screens and put them in a cupboard and everyone came in on work on Monday morning and there were no more screens left and it was an open plan office. Right. Uh. Uh, which I thought was fabulous. Yeah. And I, you know, that there's this whole thing. Uh, and I see this from both sides. Uh. Um, you know, the, the people on the ground are like, well, we would love to do that, but if we do that, we're going to get into trouble. Right. And then I speak to the, the managers and the leaders and often they're saying, oh, we would love it if they would do that. And, right. you know, we wish they would take more... Uh, you know, more risks like this. And it's funny that the perception is often different from both sides. Right. Uh, that's, oh, they were completely risk adverse. Oh, we'd love it if they take risks. Right. And, 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 so, um, and so I think one of my favorite things that I keep returning to is this idea of ask, ask forgiveness, not permission. Right. And, but I also think figuring out the true culture. Lots of people say, oh, we love to take risks, but we can't have any failures. Right. right? Or the consequences of failures are, are so dire, or at least socially dire. And I think we talk about the, what is it about the Silicon Valley that's really interesting being over there? I think they, there's a real, uh, it's not that there's no consequence to failure, it's that there's no blame. They move on quickly. Yep. And there's lots of cultures where that's a real problem. Yep. That they, they, they've built up such a fear of failure, that there's such a high consequence to failure, that they, they are actually risk averse. It doesn't matter how much, what they say. When you actually take a risk and it doesn't work out is when yeah. you find out what the real culture is. Yeah. And I, I, that's the thing I like about that story. That guy could have been fired and yep. he was worried he was going to be fired. Yeah. And in the end, what happened was he wasn't fired and people were okay with it. And yeah. then that helps give people the confidence to, to try things themselves. To just and I do. Think, yeah. Do st- and, and 
one of my one of the nice stories that I've heard about this is from Etsy, where um, the 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 four hundred four page is a sweater with three arms. <laughs> and um, every every there's and there's a they have a monitoring page where they monitor various metrics and one of the metrics is three arm sweaters nice. which is how many 404 hits are we getting at the moment right. uh, and then every year at their developer co- or, or their technical conference there's a prize given out to the person who's caused the biggest outage in the previous year and it's a sweater with three arms That's so i think <laughs> that thing of celebrating yeah. the uh the epic fail yeah. Uh, yeah. and saying yeah. you know w- Congratulations! Uh, you know that that that's great. Yeah, they have you some fun with that. I, I I worked for a company at one point where Christmas time you get every the the com- everybody got a gift, but it was always about the most outrageous thing that happened to you that year. Yeah, whatever. That, sometimes it was a good thing. Sometimes it was a bad. I mean, because I was the IT director, it was always bad for me. Right. <laughs> it was always. <laughs> yeah. Remember when we couldn't turn the alarm off? Remember when the sprinklers <laughs> went off? Remember when the, uh, we had the building broken into? You know, like, uh, yeah, those were always the ones that landed on me. You know, they kept, they kept a piece of the broken door handle. They <laughs> mounted, it on a fr- mounted it on a stand with a little plaque. So you'd remember forever. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we have um, the, an award given out for the most career-limiting move at ThoughtWorks uh, <laughs> for, for a while. And uh, awesome. Dan, Dan North, uh, who's, who's here at the conference, yeah. um, he, uh, he, was, he used to work for ThoughtWorks. Uh, uh, in the early days, we went into a customer and they and they wanted us to help build the project. And he, he went in there and there's this big stack of requirements on the desk, uh, you know, lovingly prepared uh, right. for this initial meeting. And he said, well, we're agile, so we won't be needing those and took them and put them <laughs> in the garbage. <laughs> and uh, the client wasn't best pleased about no. this. Uh, <laughs> no. So I, th- I think he got the award for that one year. Yeah. Career limiting move. That's good. It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> It's to call a uh, career limiting political move. Do you? Uh, I, I'm getting very frustrated with with people putting DevOps in their resumes. Ugh. Right? I, I'm I'm like giving a, a talk job. on that today. Are yes. you really? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's. I have actually a, a quote from a recruiting company, which right. is about how to find these people. And you know, it's it's you know it's two years ago, so it's really easy to find these people because everyone has it on their resume oh, sure. right now. Is it just because it's a buzzword like biz dev? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Biz dev. It's DevOps. Uh, everyone wants the DevOps. DevOps is trendy, so we're yeah. all DevOps. And, Patch you know, out. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's sad and it makes me mad because as I am going to say in the talk today, you know, DevOps is a mindset. Right. Uh, and it really means... It's a lifestyle. Not- it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it really means nothing by itself without some bigger context, does it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know that there's definitely a skill element as well, but the, the skills come from having a mindset. It's yeah. the it's the, uh, it's the mindset that a- anybody's problem is my problem, right? Yeah, and uh, I'm going to help out fixing. I mean, one of my the quotes that I use to end a lot of my talks is again from Jesse Robbins, who is a, a mine of 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 awesome. Uh, and his, his quote is, "Don't fight stupid, make more awesome." I like, love it. Which is brilliant. Oh, I love yeah. it. Brilliant. Um, that's great and so my thing is you know what, what i tell people at the end of my talks is you know this all sounds intimidating it sounds like hard work which it is but all you've got to do is every day go into work think of something small you could do to make life slightly more awesome for the people around you you know this is i have a three word phrase that i tell my kids every day just be awesome brilliant and you know that's just don't worry about other people you just focus on being awesome yeah because the more awesome you bring to the world the better things are going to happen to you. Yeah, absolutely. That's all there is to it. And I think, you know, that fundamentally, that, that's, that's the mindset. Yeah. 
And, and if you do that, you're going to learn a ton of new stuff. Right. And you're going to be learning new stuff all the time. And right. that's how you acquire those skills, being in an environment where you can do that and then actually choosing to do it. And stupid takes care of itself. Karma's a bitch, man. <laughs> Don't worry about stupid. It takes care of itself. <laughs> so it's early December. The Lean Enterprise book is now yet. Yes, I'm working on the second draft at the moment. Okay. Well, it's late December, right? When yeah, you're listening to this. Yeah, yeah. But- Fast forward. Recorded early December, published the end of the... Time early, shift. Yeah, okay, but I presume it's not out until sometime early 2014? Yes. Um, I mean, uh, the, the current plan, and, and obviously by the time you hear this, we'll find out if yeah. this is actually true or not. <laughs> <laughs> the current plan is to have, uh, you know, a, 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 at least a few chapters out there yeah. um, at the beginning of January um, so that people can get the early access and start looking at it and giving us feedback. So if, if, you're, if it is out there, then go to continuousdelivery.com. There'll be a link to, uh, to go and review it, and we absolutely welcome your feedback. And and what's you, the, have you got an overall theme here? I mean, Lean Enterprise is a pretty broad concept. Mm. Yeah, it, it is. And we actually are trying to go wide on this because right. one of the things that I realized is, you know, continuous delivery, it started with, let's write a book about build and, and deployment automation, right. which sounds really boring. And I was immensely surprised that it ended up actually people being really interested in it. Sure. But then it touches everything. It changes the way you think about product development. It changes the way you think about budgeting yeah. uh, and, and governance, you know, the, the whole thing of segregation of duty dev can't talk to ops there must be several brick walls between these people otherwise they right. might collaborate right. and um, it, it touches everything and, and so this is what the book's about it's about well you know to change one thing you have to think about the, the global context um, right. you have to take a holistic view so we, we talk about all these things we talk about okay we need to be able to measure value. How do we measure the value of what we're doing? And, and things like, you know, from, from A-B testing to uh, the Lean Startup minimum viable products, running experiments to test the value of things before you spend months or years building them out and discover right. that they're not valuable, mm-hmm. um, to governance and, and what, it means to have, what it means to have a high-trust culture, which is what we've been talking about just now. You know, you should, you should trust the people doing the work. You can't innovate through command and control. Um, so, so, so we touch on all of that stuff right. um, because it, it all ties together. And I think, uh, you know... I, I, this stuff interests me. Uh, I, I love coding. I don't get to do coding very much anymore, right. uh, which I'm a bit sad about. But you know, the, the idea of tying all this stuff together and, and realizing that you know you have to take a big picture view. All this stuff is tied together. I, I think that's important. So that's what we're trying to do. High trust, high functioning teams are so much fun to work in. Making them is really, really challenging. Yeah. But it's it is quite the rush when it starts to work. It's amazing, and everyone should experience that. And yeah. and, and there are enterprises that get this right. But I think you know, enterprise basically, if you, one of the things you could do is define that word. What do you mean by enterprise? Right. Enterprise basically means somewhere that's really effed up. I mean, that, that's <laughs> that's how I define it. It's it's an environment where there are where there's problems. Yeah. And uh, I've I've got a friend um, who's. Uh, uh, parent of one of my daughter's friends at um, uh, preschool, and he, he's one of these very gnarly ops guys. And he has this—he he says, you know, if if the if the managers have done something that lost the trust of the people working for them once, it's really hard to regain that. Yeah. And and this is the problem you see in enterprises a lot, where where you know no one trusts anyone anymore because yeah. the, you know people have reneged on on those, that trust in the past. That's and right. I think that that's another characteristic of enterprises. How do we reboot? 
Yeah. How do we reboot the culture and enterprises? Are we, are we increasing trust or decreasing trust? Right. And, and so people are going to take leaps of faith. Yeah. And people are going to take leaps of faith and things are going to go wrong and they're going to have to keep doing it. Do you actually suggest trust building exercises or do people scoff when you say that? Because, you know, that's kind of like, oh, geez, really? Do we have to do that? Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that we should all go to a remote corner of uh, California and sink and buy our. Yeah, that's but, what I'm saying. You know, yeah. although that can be, that, that's obviously actually quite nice to do. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, it's, it's a, it, the thing is, if you take someone to a different environment where it's very nice and we prove that we can trust each other in that environment, that's actually no help when you get back to work. Yeah. Um, because the problem is, can you trust each other when, you know, the... When the, the chips are down. Right. right. The, and, and yeah, when, there's a, when it's a low-risk environment, trust is easy. Yes. Right. Ca- and it comes back to this thing of failure, I think. You know, right. what are we going to do when people do things that cause trouble? Yeah. How Stuff gonna- is going to go wrong. Uh, are, are we going to fall into the blame game? Right. Are we going to blame people or are we going to try and change the system to make things better? Right. I think that that's a key part of it. Do you have any suggestions as what uh, companies can do to increase that trust or is it a, you take it on a sort of case-by-case case uh, basis? I think it has to be a, a team-by-team thing. I think there's, uh, it is ultimately a leadership thing. Leaders, leaders have to model this behavior yeah. because it's like you s- said, you know, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to, you know, when, when, when things go wrong to actually act in that way so it has to be something that the leaders model right it's up to leaders to demonstrate that when things go wrong they're not going to punish those people right. so it, it really does have to start with with leadership and then the other end is is you know the, the story i talked about before people have got to take risks and see what happens right. yeah and you know if if it pays off it's great you've you've, you've made the world a little bit more awesome yeah. sure. if it hasn't paid off and you, you you know hopefully you're in a situation where, as you said, you can take your own action and, and maybe uh, find somewhere where you're not going to be have a miserable time if right. you take risks. Yeah, unfortunately, we're in an economy where that's possible at the moment. Yes. Well, and I think we're in an industry where it's possible, too. I would right? like I mean, to think so. Generally speaking, there's more work than people. Yeah. And good folks always seem to land on their feet. Yeah. So make, make your own luck. Absolutely. So, Jazz, what's next for you? What's on your to-do list? Um, so I want to finish my book. Um, yeah. I just got a job uh, lecturing at Berkeley, which I'm really thrilled about. So nice. I'm going to be teaching uh, some graduates how to do nice object-oriented code and tester and development and pair programming and all that good XP stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, and then I'll probably be doing a bunch of touring around the book and uh, uh, talking to people about this stuff, trying to create more awesome wherever possible. Um, yeah. Great. That's cool. That is awesome. All right. Well, thanks a lot for talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. It's Uh, an honor. It's always great. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter van.